This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. Carlos Cagina is my technical producer and Ryan White is my live stream producer. Be sure to check out my YouTube and Rumble channel, Strange Planet. Coming up in the second hour... This is interesting. Apparently, during a high-level committee meeting in Ottawa back on Wednesday, March the 2nd, Larry McGuire, he's a conservative MP or member of parliament. He's also vice chair of the Standing Committee on Natural Resources. And he posed in that meeting, he posed several pointed questions to John F.G. Hannaford. He's the deputy minister of natural resources. And the questions were about reports of flying objects over Canadian nuclear facilities. Victor Vigiani, executive director of Zealand Communications, will be here to discuss. This hour, Canada's Edgar Casey, the last of the Sleeping Prophets, remote viewer Dr. Douglas James Cottrell is here to talk about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, among other things. Uh, Douglas uh, is best known as a trans clairvoyant. He's a spiritual healer, teacher, published author who demonstrates many abilities studied by noetic sciences, the study of consciousness, including clairvoyance, telepathy, energy healing, remote viewing, prediction, and prophecy. He's one of a few, a select few, able to demonstrate all of these abilities and even fewer who are considered a reliable information source. He teaches people the world over about spiritual development through the practice of meditation and the application of spiritual principles in daily life, and he is the author of many, many books, including Secrets of Life, The Complete New Age Health Guide, The New Earth, A Prophetic View of Our Future, Gems of Wisdom, and Conversations with the Akashic Field, his website, douglasjamescottrell.com. Douglas, welcome back. How are you? It's a pleasure to be back, Richard, uh, and this is a this trying time. It's, it's good to see a friendly face uh, on the Zoom here, Phil. It's a pleasure. Uh, you and I talked on Coast to Coast on Friday, January 21st. It was a terrific uh, show. We did a remote viewing experiment in the first half. But in the second half, you made a number of uh, predictions based on, on visions. You predicted, among other things, again, this is 
Jan 21st, you predicted Russia would indeed invade Ukraine. There would be a bitter war, uh, which would involve a deadly large-scale accident, I think you call it, a deadly large-scale accident. And indeed, uh, the Russians began shelling the, uh, I'm not going to have much success pronouncing this, but I believe it's called the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Station. It's the largest nuclear uh, power station in Europe. Uh, A part of the plant caught on fire. Russian troops are occupying the plant. I don't know if that's what you were referring to by a a deadly large-scale accident, Uh, but let's let's talk about that. Is that what you saw, the Russians perhaps shelling a nuclear plant? Yes, I did. The actual vision was... Um, started with um, civilians, a man and a woman, laying down on the ground, firing at soldiers in the distance who happened to have the same green color fatigued uniforms as the Russian soldiers have, but at the time I wasn't sure of it. And in the background was a white dome structure of some sort, like a, like a big structure, which almost looks a bit like that nuclear reactor and I'm not brave enough to try to pronounce that name, <laughs> as you just did. But it leads into um, the idea, or not the idea, the vision, which the man was, the civilian man was shot. The woman picked up the rifle and she started shooting. And then this gigantic uh, explosion took place in which all of the sky went black with charcoal colored black clouds. And in the clouds were as golden or yellow lining or lines around the clouds and a language words were written in a language that i couldn't pronounce which i now believe was ukraine the idea that uh, there was a um, man and the woman in that particular uh, vision uh, fighting with the soldiers hasn't happened yet there was uh, um, Whoever gave that order to fire on a nuclear power station is absolutely insane. Uh, Indeed, it would be perceived as nuclear terror. But what if it had struck the structure and gone off instead of just causing, reportedly causing fires that were extinguished and reportedly that there's no no radiation leakage? We don't know that for sure. Well, I guess the International Atomic Agency, they monitor it. I don't know how they do that. They said that there was no increase in radiation. And it's luckily, uh, because we automatically, of course, think of Chernobyl also in Ukraine. And this this nuclear plant, I understand, is constructed a little differently uh, in that it has a containment area. Uh, Chernobyl did not. Uh, The other thing, thankfully, is that this part of the plant uh, had been shut down, although it still has nuclear materials. So, you know, the potential is there, obviously, for for a tremendous accident. So where I was going with that is that we, we've told these things. We don't know if they're, they're certain, although we've been assured the same thing. Now, Chernobyl uh, is, which was predicted by my friend Joe Eichenhofer way back in the day before it happened, three or four years. Uh, he also had seen that Chernobyl was going to continuously leak radiation and that there would be a second catastrophe at Chernobyl. So what's happening at this largest nuclear power plant in, uh, in Ukraine um, the attack occurred, uh, and that vision would be considered fairly accurate. But I want to add to it. The important part is that I just this came across my uh, my radar here on the cell just a few days ago. There is a lady, uh, Virginia 
uh, I think her name is uh, Dornova, who is a, a, a Ukraine national and living in Ottawa, has just decided a couple of days ago, uh, probably a week ago, to go to Ukraine and fight for her country. Now, in that vision I had was a man and a woman. The man was uh, shot and the woman picked up the rifle and proceeded to do battle. And then the explosion took place. So in that in the realm of, of symbolism and visions, I think this woman going back to fight alongside of the freedom fighters, so I can call them that, uh, is yet to be. So this near miss at the nuclear power plant uh, is a ripple before the big wave. I, I do believe there is going to be the, the fulfillment of that vision, which there will be a disaster where the, the sky will go thick with dark charcoal black clouds. And, and so the vision of a man and a woman lying down on the ground and firing at Russian soldiers, they are sort of symbols of uh, citizens taking up arms or even Ukrainians who live abroad. And now we are hearing, uh, you mentioned this woman, Virginia, from Ottawa, going back to Ottawa or back to Ukraine to fight. Uh, there are a number of stories about Canadian Ukrainians, one as young as 18, who has decided He's going to go over there and fight. There are stories of American Ukrainians picking up arms or deciding to pick up arms and go and fight alongside the Ukrainian army, mm -hmm. uh, which I've, I've heard is um, they have so many, they have their regular uh, army and then they have uh, people who want to sign up. And apparently th there's a, like, there's a waiting list. Now there are so many uh, Ukrainian citizens wanting to sign up to fight that they're turning people down. I guess they don't have enough uniforms, enough weaponry, enough rations, whatever the reason, <laughs> they're all stocked up. So uh, that's, that's happening now as we speak. Well, that, in, that, in that scenario, there was a civilian resistance, if you will, the man and the woman firing at uh, uniformed soldiers. So this would now be playing out as the, Ukraine, uh, the Ukrainian people are now taking up arms. Anybody 16 to 60 is now being recruited or required to fight and there's this influx of so-called foreign fighters coming they're not mercenaries apparently they're just people volunteering how crazy that can be i don't know but how patriotic it would be for the, the people overseas who have come or hail from ukraine i can understand that uh but it was a civilian in the, in the vision it was civilians fighting against uh trained soldiers in uniform and then something in a in a white domed area if we look at the pictures of uh, these places, Chernobyl and or uh, this large nuclear power plant, apparently there are many in Ukraine as well. Yeah, they've got six, I believe, six nuclear power plants. So it could be any one of those in which there is something where there is small arms fire and then a catastrophe. It is going to happen. Other people on my radio show and, and people I've spoken to have similarly had um, corresponding visions where there has been radioactivity in the ground. I believe also on one, on one of the shows we were on, I was talking about, I think maybe your show, maybe my own, I'm not sure, there was uh, a vision where in Russia something bad was going to happen where living people would not want to touch the corpses in the street or deceased people. Ah, we mentioned that on Coast to Coast when back go. in January. Yes, I remember so, that. And we, we thought, somebody mentioned to me, it could be a plague. Uh, I couldn't perceive what that might be until now. That will be the dead corpses, the people will be radioactive. 
from the fallout or from radioactivity. And the living people won't want to touch them because they don't want to be exposed to radioactivity. This sounds gruesome. I'm, I'm sort of talking in a, in a casual way about it. But it corresponds to their first vision that after there is some disaster, that there are going to be people dead in the streets and they'll be radioactive. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell is uh, with us. And his website is douglasjamescottrell.com. Cottrell is C-O-T-T-R-E-L-L.com. You mentioned the radio show. We should uh, tell people how they can listen. That's the uh, the Global Village with uh, Douglas James Cottrell radio show. And that's uh, Fridays. That's still Fridays at 9 p.m. Eastern, correct? That's correct. Best way to get it is through my website, douglasjamescottrell.com. And you can go to my um, also my podcast, uh, called wake up. So we are re- recording this, uh, this program. It's not live. It's, uh, it's actually March, uh, the 5th. So as we record this, so events between now and, and when the show airs could change dramatically. Um, but at, right now it looks like the Russians have pretty much encircled all of the various battalions in the eastern uh, part of Ukraine, in the Donbass region, those two uh, particular areas that, that Putin then recognized as, uh, as uh, independent republics, if you will. Uh, they, uh, once they, I mean, it seems to me that's, that it's inevitable that, that they will, the Russians will take over that eastern portion of Ukraine, uh, east of the Dnieper River, and then that will free up troops, and they will perhaps move to you know move on Kiev and and other other cities. How do you see uh, this war being resolved ultimately, or how do you how how do you see it ending? I don't. Um, I've been looking for um, some end time. Uh, recently, we talked on my show about uh, what is Putin going to do. How is he going to resolve it? Uh, there is sort of a uh, um, an expression, or sorry, an expectation out there that somebody's going to—they're going to shake hands and it's going to be over once uh, a certain limit of uh, acquisition of, of Ukraine is going to take place. Not going to happen. Uh, uh, President Putin is not going to stop. His intention is to take over the whole country. Uh, there are people out now to attempt to uh, eliminate President Zelensky and his family and, and the other relatives. And what has just happened recently with the, um, uh, with the events that are taking place to isolate him, alienate him, and the other billionaire millionaires in Russia uh, to take away their assets is going to be provocative and there'll be retaliation severe retaliation the thing that the russians are seeing these sanctions as a declaration of war we're at war we're at, we're right now if i use this somebody said this to me i haven't dreamed of it or had a vision but somebody said uh, world war three is now uh, on economically and now it's it's this is a cancer that's expanding and as much as uh, uh as much as what we said of a nuclear disaster, there have been other attacks against U.S. property, country, West Coast, East Coast that people have seen that are reported to me, and they've corresponded with little glimpses of what I've seen 
I mean, you're saying in visions, the, these attacks on U.S. property, these are visions, these are future events we're talking about. Right. And they could happen, you know, days or weeks, whenever, whenever a wild animal is pushed into a corner. I'm not trying to and, 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 uh, uh, interject this, this uh, eventuality, but in answering the question, how is this going to end? It's not going to end. And not until the Ukraine is completely gobbled up and surrendered. And by the looks of the Ukraine people, they're not going to surrender. So this is going to go on for a long time. They, I have predicted on your show, in other ways, other visions corresponding, gigantic increases in gasoline and commodities and shortages and gold and silver going up. This is now in place uh, as of Friday the uh, uh, 4th. Uh, gasoline took the, uh, one day, uh, the highest jump in one day, 15%. Oil was up 25% over the week. We're talking about the commodities. And limit-up moves are taking place in corn, grain, soya, beef, and other commodities, which means the price that we're paying is going to double. Inflation, I've predicted on your show as well, is well in hand. And so um, let, let, me, let me just say this quietly. I noticed at the bank that people are walking out of the bank with little envelopes stuffed with money. Yes, I was there doing the same myself, but I saw other people. And I leaned over to the teller and I said, are people kind of, you know, doing what I'm doing today, taking a little spare cash home? And I said, oh, yes, Douglas. So we have a quiet run on the bank going here in Canada right now, if not across the U.S., if not across the world. So to answer the question, when is this going to end? This is not. It's going to be, uh, um, it's not going to be a quick war. I, I got, I'll interject this. When the first happened, Russia going into Ukraine, I heard the word cakewalk. And I expect that that was what President Putin and the Russians expected. This was going to be a cakewalk into the country, intimidate them. Here's the big bad wolf or bear, and we're going to take over your country, lay down your arms and, and behave. Didn't happen. And the contingencies didn't uh, take into account that there was going to be fierce uh, fighting back by the Ukraine people, which is now happening. And they're I, not going I think, to go away. I, I think that was an error that, that Putin made. I agree. Uh, that that he, he thought that he had that that the ukrainian people are convinced that they and the russians are this one and the same people uh putin you know has tried to make this case that there is ukraine is not a real country uh even though kiev was an important center you know a thousand years ago b before moscow uh yes they are cousins really the russians and the ukrainians they have shared culture and they have shared faith and all of these things but they're now they, they, the Ukrainians view themselves as a as a separate entity, an independent country, and I, I think Putin thought that maybe he might even go in there and be welcomed as a hero. That he keeps peddling this this mythology that Ukraine is is ruled by Nazis, mm. uh, and yeah, they do have they they do have some battalions that are quite frankly they are they're 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 white supremacist Nazis. They've got swastikas on their on their helmets, the Azov Battalion in Eastern Russia. But these are, these are small little, little groups. Uh, the, for gosh sakes, the president of Ukraine is Jewish. At one time, the prime minister also was Jewish. Mm -hmm. uh, th that doesn't exist outside the state of Israel. So, uh, so this myth that, that uh, Ukraine is not a real country, that they're the same as the Russians, and that Ukraine has been hijacked by Nazis, that was Putin's sort of myth that he tried to peddle. The Ukrainians aren't buying it. And you're right, they're pushing back, um, which 
maybe that's a good thing in, well, it is a good thing, but it, it may deter uh, any future misadventures, let's say, on the part of Putin. If he thinks after Ukraine, he's going to waltz into, I don't know, Estonia or Latvia, which would trigger, you know, a third world war. Uh, perhaps he's he's had his nose sufficiently bloodied in Ukraine, even though ultimately I agree he's going to take that he's going to take it over and neutralize it. But um, maybe maybe he will learn his lesson here. I don't know. What do you think? We've got about a minute and a half here. Well, in summary, um, um, what's really got at stake here is like all wars, it's property, commodities, riches. Ukraine apparently is extremely rich in their natural resources. And what's going on now with this economic uh, backlash where now uh, President Putin and his friends are under severe financial attack, they are going to retaliate. This is going to go outside of Ukraine. And that's what I'm afraid of. All right. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell is with us and the website, douglasjamescottrell.com. Don't forget his radio program. And that's uh, The Global Village with Douglas James Cottrell. That's every Friday live, Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. We'll uh, take a quick time out, come back. And Douglas, when we come back, we'll, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about um, uh, what's going to happen economically here in the West. You mentioned the price of oil. Let's find out how high will it go. And then we can get into some other uh, predictions. One of the other things that you mentioned on Coast back in January was uh, that the Queen would pass away this year during her jubilee back with more of our conversation right after these stay with us pin numbers passcodes social insurance numbers if they make you wonder how private they are here's two more numbers 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740 and we are back with Canada's Edgar Casey, last of the sleeping prophets, remote viewer, trans clairvoyant, spiritual healer, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell. And we're talking about predictions, prophecies, and uh, visions. We've been talking about the Russian-Ukrainian uh, war. The price of oil. Now, it's not the price of uh, oil not entirely hitched to this conflict. Obviously, that has a lot to do with it. But even before the Russians invaded Ukraine, um, it was on its way up because, you know, the demand is starting to grow again now that a lot of COVID restrictions are being lifted. Uh, but the supply simply isn't there. Uh, the United States was um, energy independent up until about a year ago. And uh, now certain pipelines have been closed, uh, shut down or projects, future projects. They're not uh, drilling on public land here in Canada. Um, we have... Um, we have a shortage of capacity in terms of pipelines. We, we don't have pipelines to the East Coast, to the West Coast. We have the third largest uh, oil reserves on the planet. We have a huge amount of natural gas that we, we could be exporting, but we're not. So there's a supply problem even without Russia, Ukraine, and now that's been exacerbated. How high do you see the price of oil uh, per barrel going, Douglas? Well, I, I haven't checked the commodities, so I can't give you an exact number. But on the uh, gasoline, I, on the show, it was predicted by one of our listeners, uh, John from Michigan, who saw gasoline at $6 a U.S. barrel, uh, $6 a U.S. gallon, and he saw that in November. So uh, can you give me a price where, where uh, oil is right now? Well, the WTI crude is 115 Brent crude is at 118 
So how, how high do you think it's going? Well, 125 right away, and then it's right. going to jump to 150. Then 150. That's we were looking at. Ah, so, I see. Okay. That gold. Was just, gold. gold is flirting with $2,000. It's what is it? Uh, 19, I saw it nine, peak yesterday around 1950 uh, yeah. US per ounce. How, fi- how high is that going? Well, on your show, I think I mentioned $2,400. 2400 right. Yeah. In the short term. Yeah, in the short term. It's on its way to $5,000, but that's like, you know, 10 years. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> we're getting to that point. I am buying a few uh, uh, items from the Canadian Mint, uh, those little silver coins, and, and they're pretty pricey right now, too. So uh, uh, and on your show and my own and other times, we've talked about having gold coins and silver coins as alternative currencies. So um, it's it's being somewhat, you can see it. Uh, I'm just looking at it. It's, it's getting up to 2,000. I can be, see a hand pushing it back down. So there's going to be big resistance at 2,000. But after that, 2,400, 2,800, and then eventually, you know, well over 5,000. But for the short term, foreseeable time, within the next year or two, uh, we're easily going to see $2,400 on, on, on one ounce of gold and then maybe more. Here in Canada, uh, where do you see inflation going? It's going higher. Uh, you know, 7% is uh, just the number seven in my mind. So it could go up, um, you know, interest rates could go up 7% from where they are. Uh, it's, it, it, and I see people with money falling through their fingers just as I'm talking to you now. Uh, so the, the uh, Canadian dollar is going to become weaker and weaker. But I could see inflation just like it was back in 1974 and 1986, 88, somewhere in there. It's going to keep just multiplying. I see X's and X's and X's, so it's going to multiply very quickly. Uh, Do you see food shortages here in Canada? Yes, I do. Uh, There will be uh, the the shipping shipping, uh, problems with trucks from the south to the north is going to be interrupted. Uh, I'm expecting some catastrophe in Wyoming where there will be either a, a, um, an explosion that's uh, on purpose or it will be a volcanic eruption. And that's going to cause uh, uh, volcanic ash to go right across the uh, Midwest and even up to Harvey's coast. And I've also seen the, uh, that, uh, I think it's Madrid uh, Meridian or that fault line people are talking about now and I've said on your show before that our parliament buildings are going to slip off down the back into the uh, into the river behind the parliament buildings because of some gigantic earthquake. So through the middle of our country, the U.S. and Canada, there'll be tr- there'll be difficulties in transporting uh, dry goods and food. And with commodity prices going up, doubling, uh, or whatever the the ultimate's going to be at the retail level, it's going to be just a mess uh, for us. We should have. Uh, we should now stock up and have something. I'm not trying to not trying to be a, a you know a fear monger here, but we should be prepared for shortages, and we should also be prepared for get this internet outages. That's going to be uh, internet tough. outages as a result of Russian cyber attacks or some natural EMP event like a sun a, a solar storm. I think this is going to be because of the explosions or uh attacks willful attacks on large departments and countries well i just want to go back to uh, something you said about wyoming a moment ago 
uh, uh, the possible, well, you're, we're talking about the Yellowstone caldera here, which, you know, yeah. many experts, I guess, or uh, many people have, have hinted that it's, it's overdue and it's, uh, it's, it's going to blow at some point. Right. We're, we're looking at a massive eruption. So is, uh, is that specifically what you're seeing, that the Yellowstone, cult, the supervolcano is going to erupt? Yes. I've seen a wall of lava moving eastward like a big wave, like a tsunami wave. And the heat from that eruption, uh, in the dream, I was someplace at an airport. I was trying to pick up the metal tools. They were so hot, I couldn't pick them up. And the dust was everywhere. Other uh, visions we've had is snowing uh, uh, in uh, in Hamilton, uh, so to speak, which, of course, uh, yeah, with people wearing bathing suits would mean not snow, but ash. There's been interruptions where the trucks can't go um, much higher, uh, much further north. And then what just comes to my mind is that also uh, my daughter had this vision. I've seen it. My, my friend Raul in Texas and other people, maybe the listening audience here, uh, has seen this where all of a sudden the planes are going to fall down out of the sky, all of them at one time. The effect of that would be super pressure above the plane at altitude or planes and pushing them to the ground. And that could only happen, I think, well, not only, but would be a, a situation where the, the pressure would be shot up in the air from a volcano and pushing the airplanes down or the volcanic ash in the air and the, and the jets would freeze up and they wouldn't be able to fly. All right. So somebody uh, else, thought I heard you mention about this, this uh, conference about uh, uh, unidentified objects uh, over our, our nuclear power stations. Yes. Uh, just recently uh, someone had a, I think it was on my Sunday, uh, uh, we do a Sunday church service, spiritual healing, and somebody volunteered that they saw uh, crafts that look like, footballs and they had red white and blue stripes on them and they were going through the air they were attacking or they were in combat and they all collapsed out of the air they fell to the ground i'm not sure if that was ufos or if that was you know flags uh, russia has the red white and blue stripes on on one of their flags that i saw i'm not sure if that's connected but i'm, I'm just bringing that up and saying that that coincides with what uh, you were talking about earlier in the show that there is going to be an investigation of these objects flying over our our territory, and I'm wondering if that is somehow connected. I'm, I'm thinking out loud here, not making a prediction. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, last of the sleeping prophets and a trans clairvoyant, is a website Douglas James Cottrell C O T R E L dot com, and uh, the Global Village with Douglas James Cottrell can be heard Friday nights at 9 p.m. Just go to the website to stream it. Um, let's see here. We just have... By the way, the queen, uh, I, I didn't say she was going to pass away. I said she was going to pass her crown. Ah. So. All right. Let's pick up on the other side and, 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 uh, and talk about that. Um, that's right. I was just checking the notes on Coast to Coast AM. That's what you said. She would pass her crown. Some, that would be sometime this year. This is her 70th year. Uh, I don't know what, you, what, what do we, that's not a silver, what is that anniversary, 70 years? It doesn't matter. It's a long time. <laughs> All right. Um, let's, uh, let's take a time out, come back, and uh, more visions and prophecies with Canada's Edgar Casey, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. 
providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. And we are back with Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, trans clairvoyant, the last of the sleeping prophets candidate is Edgar Casey, And uh, we're talking about uh, visions, predictions, prophecies. So just before the end of the, uh, the last segment, you mentioned Queen Elizabeth II. And this is her 70th year, 70th year of her reign. And um, on coast to coast back in January, you're right. I said you said she would die. No, you said she would pass her crown uh, this year. Is it going to go to Prince Charles? That's a really good question. Uh, There was a time when I saw it jumping a generation, shall we call it, and going to uh, Prince William. And uh, I'm going to give you a percentage on that. It's 50-50 chance it's going to pass over Charles for a whole lot of reasons. His his marriage, his wife's uh, um, situation as a divorced woman, uh, Princess Di is still well thought of, and we have this charming, wonderful um, uh, Prince William who, who would easily be the perfect monarch with a perfect wife. And from now on, by the way, I've said this before, uh, I had a vision or a dream where I actually heard him saying, there's been enough women, it's time for men to be the monarch. So as you know, he has, I believe he has one or two sons. I, I'm not up on the family myself. Uh, Prince William has yeah, two, uh, two sons and a daughter. And so, okay, there I'm right. So there's going to be a um, series of kings now for the next four or five generations. We're not going to be around to see that, Richard, at least I'm not going to be, but it'll, it will be kings now running the country. And I, it's 50-50 whether... Uh, Charles takes the crown or not. That's why I say pass the crown. Right. Well, if it does pass to Charles, it, you know, he could live to be a very uh, old age, but he's already in his 70s. Yeah, he's a uh, couple Prince, years older than me. Yep. Prince Charles. So it might be a, a fairly short reign, as, at least compared to Queen Elizabeth uh, the second. Um, longest, longest reigning monarch in, in recent times, I believe. Right. So you see the British monarchy as being secure then for the next several generations, because there were some who suggest, you know, despite everything that has happened over her 70 years. And there were times when, you know, uh, Prince Princess Diana, perhaps her own her popularity, maybe even for a short time, eclipsed that of the queen. But the queen is a survivor and she remains incredibly popular. So some were questioning whether the monarchy would survive her passing. Um, it sounds like you're saying it, it, it will be secure for several more generations. At least the, the foreseeable ones, you know, two, three, maybe on the way down the far, there will be a series of kings now. The real problem is the flooding that's going on around the planet. And uh, the North and South Pole ice caps are melting at such a rate that in different parliaments or governments, uh, Spain, for instance, is predicting a uh, a, a five to 15 meter uh, rise in the Mediterranean. San Sebastian in the north will be flooded. Uh, I saw two lakes that were now there are two rivers around Barcelona. I saw them become two lakes. The, Isle, the British Isles will shrink. Africa, I saw it shrinking. It was exact same size, but it shrunk in my vision. 
And that meant that the shelf that goes around the entire continent of Africa will be underwater. And apparently there, it's only three meters above water uh, at this point. And so that will be well underwater. The uh, Scandinavian countries, uh, Poland and, and other places are going to be flooded. So uh, the British Isles, you know, it's going to shrink. Uh, and that might be some, that might be some purpose or reason why the monarchy might not continue because the world's going to be flooded so severely that um, some of the places now that are above water will be well underwater that we're familiar with. And it'll change the face uh, way, the way the earth looks. I'm afraid that that might affect the monarchy. We, we just got through COVID. Who knows? Well, we'll never be done with it entirely, but it's endemic now. But who knows what other pandemics are coming our way? Never we've, got the, we've got the... Um, the ascendancy of, uh, you know, Russia and their geopolitical aspirations. Uh, we've got a, uh, the possible eruption of a, the, uh, the Yellowstone of Caldera, the supervolcano there. You're talking about earthquakes uh, the, the large enough that would uh, topple the, the parliament buildings in Ottawa. They would slide down the hill into the Ottawa River. Saw that. Uh, it's going to happen. We've got worldwide flooding. Uh, we've got about a minute here before the break. Any good news on the horizon, Douglas? Yes, you can buy my book called The New Earth, which I predicted all this stuff back in 2011. And maybe I'll make a dollar or two and sell a book that's, you know, uh, 10, 15 years old. The good news is inventions are going through the, the uh, uh, roof. Uh, space travel is, uh, is happening. We are going to inhabit another planet. I've seen people living on a planet that was... Uh, hot on one side, cold on the other, uh, or cooler, and people were, were inhabiting that planet. Right, just hold it right. We'll, we'll pick up on that point when we come uh, come back. The okay. future of space exploration. Canada's Edgar Casey, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell stays with us. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, candidate Edgar Casey, last of the sleeping prophets, remote viewer, spiritual healer, clairvoyant. Uh, so we were going to end on a, on a good note. Lots of bad news uh, coming our way. Floods, super volcanoes, earthquakes, uh, the Russian aggression, um, cyber attacks, you name it. It's all staring us in the face. Pandemics. But there is some good news. And you're talking about uh, the future of space exploration and uh, humans inhabiting other planets. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I had a very clear vision. Uh, I was in an overview looking down on this planet that was uh, very bright on one side and dark on the other side, and I could see street lights uh, or illumination on the dark side. And I, I knew somehow immediately that the white side of the planet was hot or we couldn't inhabit that side, but on the dark side, they were there, which uh, the atmosphere and, and the planet was, was livable and it, it, they were in the dark because it was cool enough to to survive. And then there was this, there was a, a all people were living uh, younger uh, younger women with older men, uh, like like you know twenty years old with with forty five year old men as families. 
uh, older women who were uh, participating in all kinds of things. They were like running the place and they, they were, uh, you know, in charge, so to speak. And everybody was happy. Um, and then we were, we were planning to go out further. I have predicted that we were going to go to Mars, I think on your show on Coast to Coast, that there would be uh, some problems with bacteria or something, but that we were going to go out and we're going to reach out. Well, here we are. We've flown. We had a helicopter on Mars. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, meaning we, the human race. So this innovative uh, intention uh, of our famous um, uh, private space uh, programs, they're gonna, there are two billionaires in competition with each other, and this is going to motivate us to go to other planets. There Elon are, Musk and Jeff Bezos. Yes. Exa- exactly right. And uh, um, I had a vision where uh, I saw this huge spacecraft. It was so big that it had to take off in a certain way, not vertically but in a certain way. And one day I'm going to go and I'm going to explain to uh, Mr. Musk, hey, I got an idea for you here. You know, maybe, maybe it'll help you get big payloads up into space. But having that vision, we were taking off big payloads in like an aircraft taking off. It wasn't vertical. It was that kind of, of transition from the ground to the, to the air. We're also going to have great inventions. Alzheimer's will be a thing of the past. Uh, all this research that's been going into... Uh, uh, the viruses and whatnot is now at warp speed finding out about the subatomic world and how vibrations and frequencies can affect viruses and how they live in that subatomic world. So we're going to understand the microcosm while at the same time we're exploring the macrocosm. You know, uh, it's just amazing what we're doing. Um, the stuff in China is, you know, China is not going to bomb anybody. They've never, never dropped bombs in 40 years, they're, they're a, a way of accumulating countries economically. They're going to continue. They're already in all the ports around the world. And uh, China is going to be a shining light rather than an enemy. But they are going to be the next world power uh, with autonomy over all nations in the world. Hang on, I mean, when you say a shining light, I mean, they're a, they're a totalitarian, authoritarian regime they're you know they are enslaving the Uyghur minority muslim population there putting them in concentration camps well i'm not talking about that now i'm talking about how if you um, look at their bridge building uh, technology if you look at their manufacturing and their space program that's what i'm talking about in that intellectual um creation uh, of what they do their politics and how the country runs and how I believe it's in China, everybody is supposed to accept their their point in life, their position, and that's it. You don't go anywhere. Uh, I'm personally against that. I find that offensive. Uh, but again, the totality uh, of um, whatever they have, I think the, the largest military um, force in the world, and they're just expanding, they're gobbling up the countries and they're somehow going to have this when i say shining light i'm talking about inventions and and things like that i'm not, I'm not trying to say they're an example of how we ought to be but they uh they are not going to uh go away and as much as we might dislike what their politics are uh we have to do business with them even during the pandemic we had to buy all our our personal protective equipment from them there was no place else to go so somehow we're going to have to work out something with them but um 
they're not this is the old empire they're not they're remembering what happened to china back in the 1800s and how the americans germans french and british uh, treated them and now they're making amends or they're balancing the scales if you will it's what i see in my mind right now pair of scales so uh don't let me mislead you richard Uh, i I don't like their politics but their technology and their innovations are just amazing and the They've built more more roads and highways in their country now than anyone else in the world. That's that's the capabilities they have. Are they going into Taiwan militarily? I just see big arms going around it. I see lots of military ships going by. No real bombing, but uh, there could be. But I see big arms going around it, like, you know, like hugging it. So, yeah, I've said that before, I think, on your show as well. Um, Can't stop China. And when when they come westward, as Edgar Casey once predicted, that was going to be a time, a signal that great difficulties were going to come into the world. And so here we are with great difficulties in the world, and China is coming westward. They own a lot of resources and property in the world. I just have about three minutes here, uh, Douglas. What's happening with you? Um, you I know you're teaching uh, you know, online courses. You were doing some teaching, teaching people how to remote view in down in Texas, what's coming up in the future for you? Okay, well, right now we have uh, our international school of the profits.com. That's our website where we have Zoom uh, spiritual healing Sunday services. And we've got about three months of them, uh, of those up, and, and people are getting spiritual healing. We call it virtue healing. Uh, it comes from the Bible, and Jesus turned the energy that left his body to heal that lady, called it virtue. So that's what we call ours. Uh, so that's developing well. It's a free Zoom church service for people who want to come in internationally. And we have people from different parts of the world doing that. I've been to Texas. Uh, I'll probably end up there. Um, I do have some affinity uh, there. I have uh, um, some business interests there. But also we have a, uh, a nonprofit uh, organization started in Fort Worth as well. I, uh, As you know, I'm, I teach very well how to do remote viewing. And the last course we had, I think there were 20 people. And do you remember that, that uh, coast-to-coast time when we had that little uh, uh, Rubik's Cube mishap where uh, that was the mystery object people were going to see, and then you got a hold of the picture ahead of time? Well, and, and we had to change the object, but people were, when we did the actual experiment live on air, remote viewing experiment, uh, people were seeing the, the first object, the on, Rubik's on, Cube. On my desk at home, which was right. exactly the same as my desk in my office, which is 10 minutes away. Uh, that was amazing. And the last remote viewing uh, uh, experiments we've had, you nailed the last one right away, 99%. I said it was an orange. It was a grapefruit. Or I said it was a grapefruit and it was an orange. That's right. But right. from the light under my desk here, it was more yellowy than an orange. So you, you're remote viewing over the over the few years you've been practicing with me on the on the air has been remarkable. The last one I did with the 20 people, I used the Rubik's cube again, and uh, I probably will never use it again now that we've announced it. But it was a little square object, and I held it up to the camera like I'm holding this little box at the end, and they all went hysterical. They were so happy. They saw the rainbow colors, the little squares, the cube shape. And I spun it a little bit and they saw the spiral. It was amazing. So I, I, I thought, okay, I can do this uh, remote viewing course and I'll probably set something up. 
and uh, we'll still teach the, teach the meditation, uh, quantum meditation course in Texas. But I'm 72 now. It's time to pass the, the torch. And so I'm about to do a, uh, uh, a tape, a, a television uh, show, if I, a, a pilot, if you will, of what I do. And hopefully somebody else can, can pick up. Maybe you can be the next remote viewer out there at Radio Lab because you are amazingly accurate. I'm not trying to flatter you. It's on the coast to coast. People can listen. The airplane you saw well, the the parts you saw in that ambulance, the the little donut shaped um, uh, travel clock we had, the uh, uh, the thing, the little bag we had with a uh, brown bag with little lines on it. You saw it. You were amazingly you know, along the way. People can see your development. But the last one, no time flat, just like that. You saw it. That was amazing. Well, you're a good teacher. Uh, Douglas, thank you so much. As always, again, the website, Douglas James Cottrell, C-O-T-T-R-E-L-L.com, the uh, Global Village Radio Show, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Fridays. They can uh, stream that from the website. And um, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much, my friend. My pleasure. Always. Pleasure to be here. Stay tuned for Hour 2. Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network will be here and we'll discuss UFOs over Canadian nuclear facilities. Back with more in a moment. of the system are asleep now we can play the conspiracy show with richard sarrett from zoomer radio Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the electric fireplace, simulated wood paneling, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Carlos Kajina is my technical producer, and Ryan White is the live stream producer. Check out my YouTube and Rumble channel, Strange Planet. This hour, do we have UFOs flying over Canadian nuclear facilities? Have a listen to this question from Manitoba MP Larry McGuire to the Deputy Minister of Natural Resources during a standing committee parliamentary hearing. So in January, the Swedish security program service rather announced an investigation of drones at three of their nuclear power plants. They have also been reported... Uh, reports over the years of other unknown drone-type flying objects flying over Canadian nuclear facilities. 
uh, in the security that we're in today, and it's been recently announced in the United States, legislation has just passed in their National Defense Authority Act, Authorization Act, rather, for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to report the, quote, number of incidents and descriptions thereof of unidentified aerial phenomena or drones of unknown origin association with nuclear power generation stations, nuclear fuel storage sites, or facilities regulated by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, end quote. So I'm just wondering if any of the department officials are aware of the legislation that was just passed in the U.S. Congress regarding these specific clauses. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Chair, for the question. I, I must admit I am not familiar with that. I can say, however, that overall security of the of our nuclear facilities is obviously something that's of extraordinary importance, um, including through the, the regulators' functions. Thanks. Uh, I'll, I'll send you the information. Thank yeah, you. We'll make it available to you. And have you received reports on these drones uh, or unidentified aerial phenomena near Canadian nuclear facilities? I have not. Um, so... I guess, uh, can you ask your officials to inquire and report back to the committee in writing uh, anything they know about them? We can do so. Okay, yes. thank you. And are reports of violations reported in and around nuclear facilities publicly disclosed? I, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Chair, perhaps I could turn to one of my colleagues who is more directly responsible for nuclear. Uh, uh, Molly Johnson may have more detailed information with respect to that question. Molly? Thank you. And... and Thank you for the question. Thank you, Mr. Chair. So I, I would say that um, the security and safety and security is, of course, the one of the top priorities, and we're considering nuclear. The the we can check and confirm on the drone issue specifically and uh, the reporting that's available, and we'll get back to you uh, with its allies, with partners in, of the United States, as appropriate to better assess the nature and extent of unidentified aerial phenomena. I believe it would be prudent for the Atomic Energy of Canada to proactively reach out to their American counterparts to discuss this legislation and to inquire how they are handling these reports and investigations. Would you be open to reaching out to the, new, the American Nuclear Regulatory Commission to start this important conversation? I certainly take that under advisement. Here to discuss is a good friend of the program, Victor Vigiani. His research and analysis of anomalous aerial phenomenon spans well over 30 years. His experience involves UFO sightings, report investigation, counseling work with individuals reporting anomalous experiences, presentations, and journalism in the field of ETI disclosure issues. He's also the executive director of Zeland Communications. Victor, welcome back. Great to be with you, Richard, as always. When we think about UFO incursions over nuclear facilities, we think of 1967 and the U.S., Malmstrom Air Force Base. Uh, we mm -hmm. think of the work of Robert Hastings discussing numerous UFO incursions over nuclear facilities back in 1967. Now, it seems to be happening here. So tell me about this parliamentary committee hearing involving a, a Manitoba member of parliament, Larry McGuire. Set the stage for us. Yeah, well, essentially, your, your comparison with the... Uh the Maelstrom Air Force Base uh, situation and many other nuclear Air Force Base or installations or launch facilities is probably a better word in the United States. Uh, that, that's well documented. Uh, Robert Salas, as you know, along with his cohorts who were the assistant launch commanders there, had experiences where UFOs, UAP, would you want to call them were hovering over actually hovering over in a physical form a large physical form over the nuclear launch facility itself uh, over the security gates 
and then proceeded to uh, shut down the actual missiles. Went to, the, the missiles went into a, what's called a no-go situation, so they were unlaunchable for, for quite a while. And they brought them back, on, uh, back online eventually. Uh, now, this situation that we're going to be describing uh, this evening, Richard, is, is a little bit different. Uh, as you know, as most of your listeners know, that, that Canada does not have any nuclear missile silos on, on our territory. Uh, but we do have uh, nuclear uh, facilities. There's uh, 19 nuclear reactors in Canada uh, spread between Ontario and New Brunswick. And what this situation is, the MP Larry McGuire outlined, was he had received reports, and we can get into this a little bit later, that the, the Swedish government, they were investigating their own uh, situations, three situations where their nuclear energy facilities, not their missiles, but their uh, nuclear energy facilities were um, overflown by some kind of drone, unknown craft, or UFO, or UAP. Take your pick. Uh, that's that's the whole scenario uh, at, at, at this point. Now, that's what um, McGuire mentioned at the onset of the, of the committee meeting. And then he went on to describe that uh, three of our or several more of our nuclear facilities in Pickering uh, and possibly others have had experiences. People have reported unknown objects, drones or UAP, whatever you want to call them, uh, over our nuclear reactors. So that's that sets the stage for what we're reporting. There's nothing to do with nuclear <laughs> missiles or anything like that, but these things have been seen by individuals, by, by a pilot and by other citizens uh, actually over... Uh, the areas of our nuclear energy facilities. So that's the kind of thing that we're going to be talking about this evening. So that's, that sort of sets the stage as to the, the comparison between the two. Again, Canadian Member of Parliament, Larry McGuire, he heard from authorities in Sweden about incursions there, and that's what prompted him to bring this question up uh, before a, uh, a parliamentary hearing? Yes, that and the reports from a Canadian UFO researcher, I believe uh, there were seven reports that were brought to his attention, brought to his office's attention about these un- you know, uh, unknown objects flying over our nuclear facility. So these things were brought to his attention uh, with respect to what had happened here in Canada. And it was something that happened. Uh, well, the meeting occurred on March the second of this, just uh, you know, this past this past month, this month. And um, when he got those, I'm not sure, but it, you can you can bet that he did receive them probably anywhere between January uh, or, or mid-February. Now, I know this because I've had discussions with the office, with a staff assistant in uh, MP McGuire's office, and he's right up to speed with uh, the kinds of reports that were coming out of Sweden, uh, very aware of all of those things. And second of all, uh, he was uh, given information from this UFO researcher here in Canada uh, about the uh, three incidents or, or more uh, instance of these drones or UAP or whatever you want to call them, overflying, uh, pickering uh, the Bruce installation and possibly one other one in New Brunswick. So th- that's where he got the information from. And then I suppose he made the decision to, uh, because he's the vice chair of the standing committee of natural resources, he wanted to address this issue with the deputy minister of natural resources, John Hannaford. And that's what he did in the video uh, that's available on the Zealand Communications website. 
So that, that's where it stands. That's, that's how we got the information. And there are other background bits of information that we can get into a little bit later on if you want. Right. And a little bit later, we'll also play uh, a clip from that Standing Committee on Natural Resources where we hear Canadian Member of Parliament Larry McGuire asking uh, th- that question about the reports of uh, drones or UAPs over nuclear uh, power plants to the Deputy Minister of Resources, John Hannaford, who then later hands it off to uh, another um, natural Molly resource, Molly Johnson, yeah. natural yeah. resources official, because he wasn't able to mm-hmm. answer the question. Neither of them really had much to say on the matter. Okay. Um, but let me just back up. So okay. these reports that McGuire received, one, again, uh, from Sweden, and then another from a UFO researcher here in Canada. Uh, mm-hmm. The the reports from Canada. Mm-hmm. Can you go into some detail as to what this UFO researcher uh, reported to McGuire? Like uh, you mentioned Pickering, maybe one in New Brunswick, but mm-hmm. the nature mm-hmm. of these incursions, what did these craft look like? Anything like that? Well, essentially, for example, the one in uh, in New Brunswick, in St. John, New Brunswick, near the power facility at Le Pro uh, in New Brunswick, it basically says my wife and I were in our backyard having a bonfire and the sky was clear. And all we see is these uh, these lights sort of hovering uh, over the facility itself. And basically they're white lights, very, very clearly luminescent and just hovering. And they, they watched as they headed uh, out over the trees and, and moved in a very deliberate way uh, over, over the installations that were there. Uh, and so it, it's, they were really kind of, he used the word blazing across the sky. And, uh, and, and then it sort of stopped, okay? And so that's an indication of, of, of one of them. Uh, the, the one over the Pickering nuclear installation just here in Toronto, near outside of Toronto in Ontario, uh, it was four or five orange lights, very slowly moving uh, at a time. It came from uh, above the trees and then behind the nuclear plant itself. And then they would uh, go into the sky and then they would just vanish and then they would reappear again. So it was very kind of intermittent, but then it came back, in his words, it came back twice. And uh, they were all lined up, uh, four in a row, to a certain place beyond the sky, and then they would again, they would vanish. So these are these two incidents, and there are, I could go into more, but it, it kind of gives, gives you a flavor of the kinds of things that people are independently seeing. And it, I must add that these individuals, they just report these things. They're not experts. They're not uh, uh, people who, who know ex- what's going on. They may not even have any knowledge of the UFO issue at all, but they found it within their means to report this uh, to the UFO uh, researcher that, uh, that that made these things clear to uh, to MP McGuire. And and how did the how, how did these reports end up on the desk of the UFO researcher? Did did, did these were these reported to? I don't know the 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 local uh, the, the airport or to the Canadian Atomic Agency. How how were they? How how was they, this? What's the chain okay. of command here? Uh, okay, they were reported to the uh, University of Manitoba, who um, uh, I, I believe under the under the direction of Chris Rutkowski, 
who has a compendium of UFO reports, and he does um, publish the Canadian UFO report on a regular basis. So he has a huge compendium of current and old, older uh, UFO reports. And the ones that, that I've seen, the three that I've seen, were part of the University of Manitoba uh, collection or data, data file. So these were um, given to somehow transfer to uh, Larry uh, Larry McGuire's office, who is a, an MP of Manitoba. Uh, he's he represents Brandon Suri in uh, in Manitoba. So they found their way onto his desk through, I suppose, uh, his office. And uh, he picked up on them and then began to look at not only how he would present these things to the uh, to the uh, to the committee because him being the, the vice chair of the committee, but also uh, bringing in the context of how the United States uh, might be also involved in this situation in, in, a, in a parallel manner. And that's how he went. That's how he approached it in the committee setting. He asked the minister, are you aware of any uh, citing reports regarding unidentified craft over nuclear installations, nuclear facilities. And the minister replied, no, I'm not. I'm not aware of any. And then he asked, uh, are these things, any, any of these reports made public? And he had no answer for that question either. And then, really interestingly, uh, Richard, then McGuire um, asked uh, the deputy minister, was he aware of the, the National um, uh, Authorization Act from the Defense Department in the United States that's been recently signed by President Biden, directing the Director of National Intelligence to report on um, UAP incursions over nuclear installations uh, of, of all kinds within the United States. And the deputy minister said, no, I have no, no, I have no, I'm not aware of that at all. So on all counts, our natural uh, resources minister, ministry does not know, or they're saying that they don't know anything about these situations. So that's the larger context of that. And following all that, McGuire demanded and requested, as uh, people will see through the video if they wish to go to my our website, he wanted a full report about this. Would you please get us up to speed about what you know about this? And the minister, the deputy minister, says, "Yes, we will provide you with that, uh, with that, uh, with a report." And also, and McGuire, which I think is really interesting, he provided, and he said in the committee meeting, he provided or would provide the minister with a, a lengthy explanation of all of this information regarding these these reports of UAP over the facilities, in addition to the context and the text of the National Authorization Act, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in, in the United States, which the minister was unaware of. So he caught everybody completely flat-footed, and we're waiting for the report from the deputy minister, but on the records on our website, uh, at Communications, there's the full letter, a complete letter from uh, McGuire to Hannaford regarding all of the situations that occurred during the meeting. In addition, he's got lots of other information regarding the National Disclosure Act. And in addition to that, and get this one, and for people who are in tune with all of this, uh, Larry McGuire, the minister, an MP from Canada, has been briefed by former Pentagon official Luis Elizondo on this issue. Uh, Luis Elizondo, a, who, who ran mm -hmm. the... Uh, ATIP, uh, the Advanced Aerial Threat Identification uh, Program out of, the, out of the Pentagon. This was the secret UFO program that was funded at the behest of uh, the late Senator Harry Reid. Right. Uh, and that, that became public when Elizondo uh, left ATIP, I guess resigned because of the lack of transparency. 
then he went to Leslie Kane and um, Mr. Blumenthal. Was it Blumenthal? Uh, That's right. The New York Times. And Helena Cooper. Yep. And uh, Helena Cooper, who was the uh, Pentagon uh, Bureau reporter. And they wrote this piece in the uh, December 2017 New York Times that uh, really changed the uh, whole trajectory, I guess, of UFO disclosure. I mean, that was a, it's a high yeah. watermark. So Elizondo mm-hmm. and Larry McGuire got together. We'll, we'll probably come back to that. I just had a couple more questions mm-hmm. regarding mm-hmm. the sure. initial reports of these UAPs, drones, uh, over Canadian nuclear facilities, Ontario, mm-hmm. New Brunswick. Do we have a time frame? When did these occur? <laughs> Yeah, uh, the one, let me go back here, the one in, uh, over Pickering here in Ontario was May 24th, 2021 at around 9.30 in the evening. Uh, that, that was the, the one that was, uh, cataloged there. And the one, uh, over the Bruce Power Facility outside of Port Elgin, Ontario, that was on March 1st, 2021. So you can see these are fairly recent. And the other one in New Brunswick, uh, if I can get my facts here, was March 28th, 2020 at 11.45 in the evening. So uh, you can see that, uh, you know, that these are very recent situations. And I might add, too, uh, going back even historically, which is, you know, a long time ago comparatively, in January of 2011, the one in New Brunswick, uh, in, at the Pro Power Facility was reported at 11:45 p.m. with lights of many, many different flashing colors. So there's the context of the timeline of, of involved here. So this is a, a little bit older information, 2011, and also some relatively new information from 2020 to 2021. I would imagine that the airspace over, even though these are not nuclear missile sites, they are still nuclear facilities, nuclear power plants that the airspace around a nuclear power plant would be severely restricted. And so I'm curious as to whether, um, I mean, these eyewitness reports found their way to the University of uh, Manitoba. Hmm. Uh, but I'm curious as to why they would have, that would have been their, 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 uh, their choice to report these. Wouldn't they, you would think they would, I don't know, the, the um, the RCMP or something, but why the University of Manitoba? Do you suppose, given the sensitivity of that airspace, why the University of Manitoba got these things, or uh, why the the report? Yeah, why the reports went there first, or did they go there first? That that's my understanding. Yes, yeah. because uh, the, the University of Manitoba has uh, under uh, Jeff Dittman and Chris Gretkowski, they do all of the collection of uh, of UFO reports. So what might happen, for example, and I'm just guessing on this one, mm-hmm. what might happen would be uh, the RCMP. You know, somebody calls the RCMP from Pickering. So I just saw some crazy lights in the sky. Oh, here, send it to the University of Manitoba. Or a police force in, 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 you know, in New Brunswick gets a report. They, you know, there's nobody else to report it to. Got and it. Th- so they get it to University of Manitoba. That becomes part of their database. And then um, the, the, they, the University of Manitoba people, I guess at this point, uh, felt it uh, significant enough to put this on the desk of, of Larry McGuire. Right. So because whoever they call, nuclear. Wh- whichever authority they call, they're going to direct them to the University of Manitoba. That's interesting. That's generally it, yeah. I want to pick up on that point when we come back. Okay. Okay. Victor Vigiani, 
executive director of Zeland Communications and uh, Zeland News Network as we talk about UAPs over Canadian nuclear facilities. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. So in January, the Swedish Security Program Service rather announced an investigation of drones at three of their nuclear power plants. They have also been reported... Uh, reports over the years of other unknown drone-type flying objects flying over Canadian nuclear facilities. Uh, In the security that we're in today, and it's been recently announced in the United States, legislation has just passed in their National Defense Authority Act, Authorization Act, rather, for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to report the, quote, number of incidents and descriptions thereof of unidentified aerial phenomena or drones of unknown origin association with nuclear power generation stations nuclear fuel storage sites, or facilities regulated by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, end quote. So I'm just wondering if any of the department officials are aware of the legislation that was just passed in the U.S. Congress regarding these specific clauses. Uh, Thank you very much, Mr. Chair, for the question. I I must admit I am not familiar with that. I can say, however, that overall security of of our nuclear facilities is obviously something that's of extraordinary importance. UAPs over Canadian nuclear facilities. Victor Vigiani is with us from Zeland News Network and Zeland Communications. So, again, um, I'm a stickler for details, Victor, as you can tell. I'm, I'm, That's so, great. <laughs> so we were talking about how the eyewitness reports of these UAPs or drones or whatever they were. Maybe they called the RCMP. Maybe they called the local police. Uh, in any case... They would have been directed then to call the University of of um, Manitoba because that's where the UFO reporting center is. Basically, in the United States, they have New Fork, I guess. Right. Uh, but here yeah, in Canada, sort of mm-hmm. yeah. So you call the University of Manitoba. But again, getting back to my original point about this is, I would imagine, incredibly sensitive airspace over a nuclear facility. Even though they're not nuclear missiles, it's a nuclear mm-hmm. plant. You would think that if they called the RCMP, uh, the RCMP would take far greater interest than just, hey, we'll call the University of, of Manitoba. In, in other words, if I'm, on, if I'm with the RCMP, what? You're seeing a drone or something flying over a nuclear plant? You know, I'm going to call the... I'm going to call the uh, the appropriate government ministry or... The, or, um, or NORAD. Or NORAD, yeah. Well, you know... And I, I, I do not, and I, and I made a very clear statement to uh, the person I spoke with in uh, Larry Larry McGuire's office. Okay, and I've had two conversations with him, and he's the he's the staff advisor for for um, for Larry McGuire, the MP. And this young fellow, as I mentioned to you earlier, is up to speed on just about everything that I know, and I've I've been involved in this as you know forty years. This young fellow knew chapter and verse about what I knew and any name I mentioned to him, any situation, he was right up to speed with all of it and how much research he's done, what he knows about it as an individual person, 
but he happens to be an extremely knowledgeable person within the Department of Natural Resources under under um, uh, Larry McGuire. Now, I must say that Larry McGuire is not in the um, Natural Resources Ministry. He is the vice chair of the Parliamentary Committee of Natural Resources. So they're the ones that kind of oversee the Ministry of Natural Resources that uh, the Deputy Minister uh, Hannaford is in charge of. And the, so, and the nuclear and all our nuclear facilities would fall right. under the Ministry exactly. of Natural Resources. Minerals, forestry, oceans, all of those natural resources, that's under the umbrella of the Ministry of, of Natural Resources. And there, so there's the Deputy Minister of that and the minister of that department of, right. of natural resources. So that's a, a formal entity within the, like, like the Department of Defense, for example, right. or right. the Department of uh, the Veterans Affairs, okay? But exterior to that, Parliament has a whole multiplicity of committees that deal with uh, monitoring the, uh, the activities of all of the ministries. So uh, Larry McGuire is, in fact, the, the, the vice chair of the Parliamentary Committee on Natural Resources. And what he does, and what that, that, that committee could do or couldn't do and, and will do, is, is, um, is question the ministry about what are you doing with this? What are you doing with that? How come this is happening? So in this instance, Larry McGuire went after the uh, UAP uh, issue with the deputy minister. So he's questioning him uh, on what he knows about the, the, these overflights. And it's quite clear that the minister or the deputy minister of natural resources knows nothing about what's going on. Or he's right. saying that. Right. But back to my original question, you would think yep. that whoever received that call from the eyewitnesses, rather right. than just directing them to call the University of Manitoba and kind of dismiss uh, it. like I yeah, see. Yep. Like, Wait a second. You're well, telling me that there are there are <clears throat> unidentified flying objects, whatever they are, even if it's a drone from a real estate agent flying over highly restricted airspace, a nuclear plant that that the, the, the first course of action, I would think, is to call I call my superior. Say, what do I do with this? Well, call the Let's yeah. call the Ministry of Defense. Let's call atomic Canadian Atomic Agency. Let's call mm -hmm. somebody. Let's get out there and mm -hmm. see what's going on. Yeah. Well, you raise an, an excellent point, and I go back to my conversations with this individual within Larry McGuire's office. Um, he was very clear that the kinds of things that are reported to them can only exist. And this is a, you know, I'm not being, a, you know, an apologist for the ministry or, the, or that, that committee is once they get information, they have to stay within the within the, the rails of that. They don't go to anybody else to say, well, here's what's happening. They just, that's the information that I received from them. But my question would be exactly to, to yours, too, would be, um, let's suppose the RCMP, for example, gets a report of something going on because a citizen calls and says, there's these funny objects flying over the, the Pickering nuclear plant. I have a very close confidence, and I'm going to mention his name on air, Dave Scott. Okay, you, you, you may know, know Dave Scott. He's a he's a well uh, well informed, um, excellent researcher. He operates uh, out of British Columbia, spaced, spaced out, out radio. radio. Yeah, he's a colleague his, of mine uh, at uh, at another right, radio station. Yeah. Right, right. Now, Dave told me, and I'm sure that he would agree that that this could become public information. That whenever the RCMP and get this, Richard, okay, um, whenever the RCMP get any kind of report or any other agency within the Canadian government. Let's say NORAD or, or, or whatever. As soon as that, those kinds of reports of UAP come into those offices, you know what happens? It goes directly to Cheyenne Mountain, like that. NORAD. 
Yeah. So you can bet your bottom dollar that maybe these things were reported to the University of Manitoba on the surface of things. But in, in, in my experience, Experience with this whole issue at the at the upper levels and uh, undercover levels of, of how these things are are made known to um, the you know defense systems that are in operation. They do know about this, and I, I would bet anything that the RCMP got this information and sent it somewhere else other than just the University of Manitoba. So I hope that answers your question, and it does. I, it I'm, does. I'm confident that yeah, I'm confident that that's that that would uh, that that would happen. And so it, it, it occurs to me then that uh, God bless Larry McGuire for bringing this up at a standing committee on natural resources. Um, mm-hmm. But he he received very little in the way of uh, information from the deputy minister of natural resources, John Hannaford, or his other colleague at the Ministry of Natural Resources. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting to see or hear what the answer would have been had MP Larry McGuire been sitting on the standing committee for national defense and ask ah, that question to the Deputy exactly. Minister of National Defense. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be something that uh, I, I know the Minister of Defense right now uh, is uh, is pounding the war drums of increasing um, uh, Canada's uh, you know troop numbers uh, in, in, in within, within NATO. Uh, I don't know where their head is at, okay, in terms of all of that with what's going on in the Ukraine right now. But uh, if if this information, this kind of information, in concert with what's going on in NORAD with respect to the UFO issue, which I'm very well aware of, that NORAD knows about, it is beyond me that the uh, uh, Department of National Defense does not know about uh, the UAP issue. And I think that they would be the next line of, pardon the pun, defense against information that may be internalized by them with respect to the, the UFO issue. And I, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, Richard, that the Department of National Defense is well up to speed about this because anything that goes to NORAD becomes part of the, uh, uh, the Department of National Defense. So they know about this issue. There's, no, there's absolutely no doubt about it in my in my own mind. And the only difference is right now uh, how it's brought forward within committees of the Department of National Defense. And does anybody who's monitoring the Department of National Defense have the chutzpah to stand before the Minister of right. Defense and ask exactly the same questions as Larry McGuire asked the Minister or the Deputy Minister of uh, Natural Resources? Uh, that 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 should be the next thing that happens. Victor Vigiani is with us from Zeland News Network, Zeland Communications. How do we read your blogs, Victor? Yeah, just uh, just Google zelandcommunications.com and you'll come up with uh, uh, all of my press releases, editorials, and uh, everything that's uh, that's relevant to this issue. Mostly, uh, I deal with the anything that's to do with disclosure and getting information out about this. So, zelandcommunications.com is the place to go for all the the information from a Canadian perspective. And and uh, Zeland Communications, I should tell your listeners, uh, you know, in Canada and throughout uh, the United States and, and and Europe, that Zeland Communications is the only Canadian news network that deals with this stuff. And I pride myself on doing that. I've been rather rather laid back and kind of putting myself forward on that issue but unfortunately uh, the Canadian news media and other UFO groups choose not to uh, highlight this information in a journalistic way and that's what I think uh, Zealand Communications does and I'm, I'm quite proud of it to be to be honest with you. As well you should be. Alright, we'll take a, uh, another time out. When we come back I want to find out a little bit more about MP Larry McGuire. You mentioned that he met with 
uh, Luis Elizondo. And also, I'm very curious about his parliamentary assistant or um, member of his staff who seems so up to speed on all issues UFO. I mean, is that a... Is that an accident, a curiosity? We'll, we'll find out. Uh, back with more of our conversation in a few moments. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. UFOs over Canadian nuclear plants. Victor Vigiani is with Zealand News Network, Zealand Communications. And I want to get back to Larry McGuire, the Manitoba MP who first brought this issue to the attention of the Deputy Minister of Natural Resources. What do we know about the history of Larry McGuire? Has he had a longstanding interest in, in UFOs? And what can you tell me about his staff member who seems to know so much about UFOs? Really good question. In the two conversations that I've had with his office, and, and, and I must say that this staff member that, that I spoke with uh, twice now is extremely insular about uh, uh, MP McGuire. He's, he's protecting him. He's making sure that, that Larry does the right thing, okay, and with the information. My assessment of this staff member's uh, management handling of this issue is that he is creating an insular kind of situation where the MP, where Larry McGuire, is going to go forward only because he's getting good information from certain individuals, not because uh, he has any interest. I got no sense from the staff member that Mr. McGuire had any prior knowledge of the, of the UAP issue, any prior knowledge of you know, the interaction between nuclear facilities either here in Canada or in the United States. I did not get that sense. It, it may have occurred, but that's not the feeling that I got from this staff member. However, the strong feeling that I got, I must underline that, is that this staff member, you know, when I mentioned uh, Robert Salas, for example, in the Malstrom Air Force Base, he, he, he and I chatted about it for a few minutes, so he was very well informed about that. And I mentioned a few other names, you know, uh, you know Stephen Bassett. Richard Dolan, and he had high praise for people like Richard Dolan. So if a staff member, get, and this is really kind of interesting as far as I'm concerned, if a staff member in the office of Larry McGuire, an MP from Manitoba, Canada, has an articulate knowledge about someone like Stephen Bassett or has high praises for someone like Richard Dolan, who is, you know, you know probably the, the, the best historian on the, on the UFO issue uh, in the world, and I don't want to understate that, uh, so you have to understand, I think we have to understand that um, Larry McGuire is getting quality information from somewhere filtered through this staff member. That, that's my right. assessment. Of yeah, it. he's one of us. I think I so. Mean, he's one of I think so. He's one of you. I mean, if nothing else were to come from this to now understand and realize that you have someone like this on the inside. Uh, I mean, of course, things happen with elections. Larry McGuire could be voted out. And often, you know, the staff go with them. But at the present time, you have potentially a UFO disclosure advocate, a parliamentary assistant to a sitting MP. I mean, that's pretty significant. The, the, the implications of what you just said, Richard, are astounding, are amazing, are incredible. And uh, I, I think that that is something that we have to really kind of underscore with respect to this, because in my in my dealings with this over the past many, many years, I have always wanted to get uh, or, or, or bring into the uh, umbra- under the umbrella a good journalist 
who has a real uh, thirst for this knowledge? And also, how can I find out someone within the, uh, the, the official government, governmental structure who's also um, willing to listen to, to information about this issue. Now, what we have is not just someone, as you just stated, who's willing to listen to this kind of information or be fed this information by someone like me or Chris Witkowski or someone else like that. This man, this individual, this young fellow, is he, he's done his own research. He's done his own thing. So, in fact, we you stated it. We have a disclosure advocate in the office of one of our members of parliament, and I cannot underscore that uh, uh, too much. I mean, it, it's, it's astounding. It's an astounding implication of what we're hearing, and I don't think that um, uh, people are taking this 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 situation seriously enough to uh, underscore what you just said—that we have somebody inside the government who knows all about this stuff, and he's feeding it to a member of parliament. That that that's amazing. It's almost like you know what what, uh, what Blumenthal and 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 Kane Cooper did. It's, it's this, on the same level of that. But in, in a governmental in a governmental framework, I'm going to speculate here, but I think it's pretty safe to assume then that this probably was the staff members. It was entirely his initiative. In other words, somehow he got a hold of this information from the University of Manitoba, maybe one of his friends, a fellow UFO, or maybe he found it out on his own. I mean, he's he's a he's a researcher. He brought this to McGuire and said, I'd like mm-hmm. you to ask them about this. Could you do it? Right. Maybe McGuire said, oh, geez, I don't know. I don't want to use the word UAP. Can I use the word drone instead? Because he right. never mentioned UAP. He never mentioned That's once right. did McGuire right. bring up the word UFO or Little Green mm-hmm. Man or right. anything like that. He said drones, which mm-hmm. is pretty innocuous. Right. Right? A drone. So I'm just imagining that that's how, you know, the, the interaction between those two happened. And, and McGuire made a promise to the side. I'll bring it up. I don't know if anything's going to come of it, but I'll mm. bring it up. And then that's the way it was left. Yeah. yeah. I watched very closely. And if um, you know, your listeners want to look at the video, it's, it's on uh, the Zealand Communication website. The, the video is uh, two minutes and 53 seconds of Larry McGuire presenting this information. And, you know, I, I, I've listened to it, what, uh, 10 times, now, a dozen times. And in, in being the kind of um, the educator that I am, my, my teacher background, a body language, uh, verbal articulation, all of those things are very um, uh, meaningful messages other than what the person is saying. Okay, they could be saying certain things, but their body language and the way they articulate uh, what they're Victor, trying to say. Sorry is, for the interruption. We're uh, yeah. I'm up against the break here. Let's pick up on sure. this point when sure. we come back. Victor Vigiani, Zealand News Network, Zealand Communications. As we continue to discuss UAPs over Canadian nuclear facilities. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We're back with Victor Vigiani, Zealand News Network. And just before the break, we were talking about McGuire, MP from Manitoba. And to the extent that he was, I guess, sort of fed all of this information, that this was all done maybe at the behest of his staff member who you, you had discussions with. Mm-hmm. who you mentioned was pretty up on all of the UFO research, knows all the names, knows all the players. And uh, I was suggesting maybe that, that this was all done at his behest. And he convinced McGuire to bring this up in a standing committee. And McGuire may have been hesitant because at no time did McGuire use the word UFO or UAPs or flying saucers. The only word he used, I, unless I'm mistaken, I listened to it a couple times, drones. He only said drones. 
so then you were commenting on that. So go ahead. Yeah, um, in, in listening to him say that, I think towards the end of his conversation, if you correct me if I'm wrong, he might use the word UAP in the context of the the uh, the U.S. Um, National Authorization Act, but that's another story altogether. Uh, the point that I was trying to make before the break was that in listening to Larry McGuire's um, uh, the, the video presentation uh, on YouTube, um, and being a student of body language and how people articulate this after all of my years in education, I think that what people say is one thing, but the kind of body language and the, and, and the, the tone of their articulation is, is, is just as instructive as what they say. And I got the sense, and this is just a, an intuitive feeling, um, Richard, I got the sense that, that Larry McGuire has in some way become committed to this issue, and, and not just speaking on behalf of someone who pumped him with information. Uh, he didn't articulate it in a way that he said, you know, here's the script, I'm going to read it to you. I got the sense that Larry McGuire uh, is, is is vested in this issue in some way, shape, or form, and I'm not sure exactly how. So I think one of the offspins of that, or the implications of that, is that he is not going to let go of this issue. If people want to go to my website and read the letter, read the letter that Larry McGuire sent back to John uh, John Hannaford, the Deputy Minister of Natural Resources, if you read that letter really, really carefully, you're going to get a sense of, okay, folks, um, Mr. Minister, I'm not fooling around here. I want information. Here's what I've got. Here's what I know. Here's what I've been told. And here's what I want to know from you. So get your act together and let me know what's going on. That's the tone of the letter that I that I saw. I'm being kind of hard about that, but that's the sense of the letter. And if you read the letter, that's that's what I... So I think Larry McGuire is, is, is vested in this issue and wants to move forward with it in a way that might be slow to begin with, but he may make something more of this once this gets into the uh, Department of National Defense or within NORAD. And that's just my speculation on that issue. All right. Who initiated the meeting, the briefing between... McGuire and the former Pentagon official Luis Elizondo. Don't know. To be really honest with you, I, I don't have an answer to that question. Um, now, if we want to speculate, uh, quite possibly the staff member uh, involved might have uh, been able to have a conduit through to Luis Elizondo. Don't know. Uh, perhaps there might have been a journalist involved that might have fed uh, the, uh, the the staff member information about who to contact with respect to the uh, uh, to Luis Elizondo's involvement in ATIP. I, 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 I don't know. I really and honestly don't know how that happened. But in fact, it did happen. Now, I, I want to drop another little minor point on you. I do have information from, once again, Dave Scott, that six members of parliament here in Canada have been briefed by Hal Putoff. And Hal Putoff is a reputable person who was involved in the start to the Stars Academy, well versed in this issue, well acquainted with Luis Elizondo, well acquainted with uh, Chris Mellon, uh, the former assistant deputy de- uh, of defense here, in, uh, rather, in the United States. So there's a whole conduit through or a whole web of, of information here through which uh, Larry McGuire might be getting his information. And perhaps that's how this all happened. And now I, 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 I want to find out more about that. And if we've not been able to get more solid information as to how these these, uh, members of parliament might have been briefed by by people like Hal Putoff and and, and other individuals. Uh, And I'm saying that on speculation, uh, but Dave Scott is very clear that he knows or for some reason has found out that that MPs have been briefed by, by these individuals. 
Do we know the timing of the um, briefing with between McGuire and Elizondo? Did that happen before uh, the um, uh, McGuire's question to the deputy minister in the in the I, I committee hearing? So. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so, because that's, in, in my, to my sense of what went on, that that's what made the additional impetus behind how Larry McGuire had the uh, fortitude or the, the background knowledge to move forward. And you, you know yourself, I mean, you're not going to go before the deputy minister of any uh, department in the Canadian parliament without some sort of backup uh, information or at least solid back information uh, about uh, the foundational aspects of this issue, especially from someone who's like... Uh, uh, you know, was part of the ATIP program. Uh, th- I think that was an extremely powerful motivating factor behind why Larry McGuire did what he did. If, if Perhaps if Larry did not have that uh, Elizondo connection, he may not have been so forceful. But I think in communicating with Elizondo, it, it gave him the, uh, the the backup, the confidence to, to move forward and saying, here's what's going on, and here is what the National Defense Authorization Act has said, and why aren't we following the same kind of lead that the U.S. Senate is doing? So I think he's, he's played his cards really, really well. So in answer to your question, I th- my assessment is that the uh, Elizondo briefing occurred well before anything that uh, um, McGuire said at that committee level. Uh, you've had communications with Elizondo, have you not? Yes, I've interviewed him uh, on on our uh, one of our podcasts. Yeah, would a conversation between McGuire and Elizondo? I mean, would that would that fall under parliamentary privilege? In other words, if you went to Elizondo and said, "Hey, can you tell me what you and McGuire talked about?" Would he be able to divulge that? Um, good question. I, I I don't think there's there's any parliamentary restrictions on that. That would be something that if Elizondo would want to share that information from someone. Uh, that he told X, Y, and Z to a member of a of a, of a foreign government. Uh, however, that uh, however Luis was uh, Luis Elizondo was contacted. I have no. I don't know how that that connection was made. Uh, I, I don't see any reason why that that's uh, under any kind of privilege at all. I mean, it's not uh, information that's that's. Uh, secret, that's top-level secret. Uh, it's just a, a briefing that he received from someone, an individual yeah. citizen. Yeah, he, he, Luis Elizondo is just a citizen of the United States. He's no longer any kind of representative for the Pentagon. It's just someone who has intense knowledge, intense background about this situation. So, um, I mean, that's, I think that's how uh, Larry McGuire interpreted whatever the whatever the context or content of that interview was, and he moved forward with it based on Luis Elizondo's experience and 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 background. It would also be interesting, and I don't know if the Canadian Atomic is it the Canadian Atomic Energy Board or what the exact title is? Canadian yeah. Atomic Energy Commission was ever in charge of overseeing the nuclear plants in this country. What a FOIA request might accomplish because I'd be interested to know we know for example with the uh, the UAPs over nuclear missile sites in Malmstrom and other places in uh, the United States in 67 mm-hmm. and other dates that you know there was a sighting in the air over the uh, facility and then there was something that happened on the ground uh, the, mm-hmm. the the missiles were taken offline it would be interesting right. to see when these incursions took place over Canadian nuclear plants what happened in the nuclear facility what happened in the right. nuclear plant you know, were any of their well, alarms going off? Excellent point. Uh, and I think that's one of the things 
that Larry McGuire was attempting to get at because he did um, request from the deputy minister, uh, Hannaford, a report on, on these these incidents. And, uh, you know, I've got in front of me uh, four of the incidents, that, which we described earlier in our conversation. Uh, Larry McGuire did request a full report from the deputy minister on these incidents. And what do you know about them, if anything? So if, in fact, uh, these kinds of things did occur... If they were just overflights, and once again, I'm just speculating here, if there were just overflights of, of UAP being interested in Canadian nuclear facilities, as they might have been in Sweden, which was, you know, well, well documented in, in um, Larry Maguire's video, they just flew over and said, oh, hello, we're here, we're here, here's where we are, just, just observing, uh, fine, that's all, that's all well and good. But if there was any influence, any fluctuations in, in, in some of the data readings, and, and I'm quite sure, Richard, that these people who man the nuclear facilities could detect even the most minute difference of readings with respect to the electromagnetic influence of, of, these, of these craft or whatever, you know, what happens when these craft hover and do whatever they want to do, it, just even by their mere presence, not even influencing the, the, the facility itself by a direct means, by a ray or some other kind of influence, just by their mere presence, what were there any, good question for them, were there any fluctuations in the reactor's capacity of operation? It's a, I think it's a great question to ask any one of those nuclear facilities. And I think the Minister of Natural Resources has to answer that question at some point. And I might add that John Wilkinson, the, 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 the minister, the minister of, this, of the Natural Resources um, Department, was not at all involved in this so far. He's made no articulation about it. Only his deputy uh, minister has been. So th this is something that's got to be fleshed out with respect to what might have been the influence on any of these nuclear facilities, these nuclear reactors, by the presence of these particular drones, UAP or UFOs, whatever you want to call them. Well, it's a great story. Thanks for bringing it to uh, our attention, Victor. Uh, we'll watch with interest as this uh, heats up potentially. In the meantime, we have an advocate on Parliament Hill with um, MP Larry McGuire's uh, staff member let's put it that way mm -hmm. thanks mm -hmm. so much incidentally how do we listen to the podcast and what's it called all you have to do is go to zealand communications and uh, or google um, files of the disclosure agency fda and it's on spotify it's on uh, applecom it's uh, it's all over the place right now and i have no idea how it got all of those places but uh, it's it's there all the episodes are there we've got interviews with with danny sheehan with uh, steve bassett uh, richard dolan uh, uh, whitley uh, whitley streber all, all kinds of individuals are, are on it so i would encourage people to, to go there and to listen to it because we're really proud of of the of the productions that we've done fantastic victor thank you as always okay good night rick that's it for me. My thanks to Carlos and Ryan back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.